You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast, another game week and another huge game for East Carolina. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net, joined for the first time in season by my good friend, former coach over at ECU, Bobby Harward. Bobby, how's it going, man? Good, good. Excited uh, for Saturday's football game, and uh, this season has uh, quickly gotten up got up on us here what are we week four week five yeah week five man already a third of the way through i mean it 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 really does fly by once preseason camp begins and we we had you on in the preseason and i wanted to get you back on um with our busy schedules to kind of talk about what you've seen thus far uh as a you know a former coach and somebody who follows the game pretty closely and also kind of preview this two lane game we'll get into the importance of this matchup what it means for both teams especially ecu obviously but Four games in, Bobby, ECU is 2-2. Two and two. I think everybody would have taken that before we started the season, given the non-conference schedule. I don't know that anybody envisioned that ECU would get to 2-2 two and two how they got to 2-2, two and two, but here they are. Close win over Charleston Southern. Come from behind win over Marshall on the road. Four games into it. Kind of what, what have been your overall takeaways uh, early this year? Yeah, I think it's it's hard because, like you said, if, if – before the season, everybody would have taken two and two and and been a okay with it and got be really excited now for this two lane matchup. But just the way the games have looked and the performances have looked, that's really I think what's causing the frustration. Um, I mean, first off, starting with App State, they're a much better program, and I know that's hard for us to admit as ECU faithful. But I mean, our uh, he who should not be named has set our program back pretty drastically so uh they are a better program they're in a better place that they, they i mean they have veterans across that defense and that defense was freaking uh you know we should have won that ball game and would have set up nicely you know being three and one right now um and marshall we were able to pull a rabbit out of a hat but uh i think the the one that assaulted everybody's mouth is that charleston southern game last week that was a, a pretty ugly performance by the pirates yeah, that was unexpected to an extent. Um, I thought that there was a chance they would struggle early in the game, but I think the biggest surprise was after they took control that, that then the Charleston Southern kind of came back. And you do have to give them credit in terms of, you know, usually when a team that is a big underdog has that initial jolt, the other team responds, then the game kind of goes the way everybody expects it to. But through ECU errors, through their own uh, doing on Charleston Southern's end, they, they ended up making a run at it and, um, I just think it, I don't know, I, I feel like maybe some people are have overreacted to the game, but it wasn't pretty, and I still think it comes down to how ECU plays against Tulane. You know, the most important thing is they got the win, and if ECU beats Tulane, I don't think anybody remembers Charleston Southern. Now, if they lose to Tulane or don't play well, then I think everybody's saying, well, this just isn't a good football team. It, it can really go either way, Bobby, and to me it kind of seems like it's more about what ECU does versus Tulane. 
Absolutely. I think a win definitely erases the past week. Uh, we've, we've seen that just, it, it's kind of everybody's emotions are going up and down right now with the roller coaster of the season and the way, uh, ECU has played, but I mean, I, I agree. I thought they would come out a little flat. Um, I think when you play an FCS opponent that first week of the season, it's really easy to get excited and, and you know, be fully prepared because you've had all training camp, you're ready to hit somebody else. But when you're playing them, you know, the fourth game of the season and you've already had good competition, uh, it, it is a little hard to get super excited for that ball game. And, and again, that's not an excuse. Uh, they should have come out uh, ready to play, but you know, Chambers was a playmaker. He was a baller. He, he freaking impressed me, man. He he was good. Um, I thought the, the, the defense, did a pretty good job for the most part. I think uh, what hurt them uh, was they got off their pass rush dots and created those open lanes for Chambers to step up in the pocket and move around. Um, and then offensively, they've, they've got to figure something out because outside of one half of football against Marshall, they, they have not looked very good. Yeah, and you know we'll touch on the offense. I didn't take questions for this podcast because I know what everybody was going to ask. They were going to ask thoughts on the offense, what can fix it, et cetera. So – you know, you know Donnie Kirkpatrick, you know some some guys on the staff, so I'll kind of get just your take on kind of what you've seen, whether it be X's and O's or philosophy. Uh, what have you liked from the offense? What have you not liked? Uh, do, you, do you feel like there are any easy answers, or, or is it still kind of tough to, to put your finger on it? It's it's honestly, I, there's no one answer. I think there's it's such a combination of different bits and pieces, and I think – the ultimate issue is they haven't really gotten to a point where all 11 are playing together. And it's always been one position group on this play, another position group on that play, a penalty here, a fumble there, anything they're doing when they're getting momentum offensively, they do something to shoot themselves in the foot. Um, whether it's a fumble, whether it's a false start, whether it's a hold, what us taking a sack, a missed throw, all those things. And I think right now it's become more of a psychological uh, mental blockage than anything for them. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned with the receiver group. I'm, I'm uh, a little concerned about Holton. I know we uh, raved about him in the preseason podcast, expecting a big year from him, and we haven't seen that yet. So uh, it, it's just a combination of things. And, you know, I think the staff needs to do a better job of adjusting to what our personnel does well. Um, but at the same time, the players also have to execute. So I think it's on both ends. It's not just one side. Defensively, I think if there's if there's a good thing, even though the defense is giving up yards and points, it's that they're going to come after you and they're going to make some plays. Yeah, they're going to give up some plays, but they have uh, they forced turnovers. They've scored on defense. Uh, Jaquan McMillan with a huge pick six last week. And I feel like with Blake Harrell's unit, you can see kind of some tangible growth there pretty much every week and yeah you know there have been some step backs at times since the start of the 2020 season but I think overall given the youth of that unit you, you you know you see a young guy or two flash every week it just feels like that group overall is is starting to trend in the right direction yeah the numbers have to improve you know a lot of people were freaking out about how they gave up so many yards against Charleston Southern they were also on the field for 100 freaking plays like it's hard to hold a team to less than 500 yards and some of that is not getting off the field on third down but um, your thoughts on the, on the defensive side of the ball thus far? Bullet Carroll is in his second year as uh, the defensive coordinator. 
Yeah, I think uh, the defense is probably a year or two away just with the the age and, and the experience on the roster on that side of the football. Um, I agree that ECU has to do a much better job of playing complementary football. And I think that is the mindset of Mike Houston and his reasoning for wanting to run the offensive brand of football that he's wanting to run. But right now it's just uh, not functioning as he'd like with all the three and out. So that's putting – uh, tired football players on the field on the defensive side. I think uh, they have to make some corrections at the inside linebacker spot. Um, we've seen that, you know, get exposed because, you know, a really good inside linebacker can mask a lot of uh, deficiencies in your defense. So I think getting that position right, maybe it looked like Xavier Smith was playing a little bit back there against Charleston Southern and rotating some uh, between that rush spot. And then, they're going to have to go out and get a, a, a pass rusher off the edge because uh, to win in this league, you're going to have to have pass rushers off the edge and corners outside that, that can lock up the receiver. So uh, I think ultimately a long answer is um, they just need to, they're about a year or two away. So uh, I expect a big jump next year and just gradual improvement throughout the season. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair answer. And, they say the NFL is a rushing cover league. I feel like college football is now going that way too. I mean, you got to be able to rush the passer and you got to be able to cover people. So, and ECU to an extent can cover people. It's just can they get to the passer enough? Right now, very inconsistent. Uh, Bobby, when we look at Tulane, and we'll get more into the maybe the the stats, the numbers here in a little bit. But the overall importance of this game, I don't know what it is about Tulane and the American Athletic Conference schedule makers, but they seem to put this game, either at the start of conference play or at a pivotal moment, last year it was kind of in the middle of the season. This year, the start of conference play, a huge swing game, I feel like, for both teams. I feel like you're going to get both teams' best shot here. Tulane is 1-3, and three, probably expected to be 2-2. Two and two. They're coming off a loss to UAB, which is a quality program, Conference USA champion, but they probably expected to win that game. ECU 2-2. Two and two. After this game, they've got at UCF at Houston. So this is a pivotal game for the Pirates. I just see like the you know these two games are kind of middle of the pack AAC teams, and the winner of this game has a much better shot at making a bowl, rising up the standings compared to the loser. I, I you know I don't want to overstate the importance of one game, but I I really do feel like this is a swing game for both programs in 2021. Uh, do you do you feel like that is a a fair uh, assumption? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, it, it is. Uh... It's sad in a way when you think of Tulane, how we're so comparable program-wise right now. But it's just the nature of the beast. It is what it is. And, and right now we're very comparable uh, to Tulane. And, and, and this is a win that we have to have looking at the remainder of the schedule. And this is a win that hopefully can build some confidence and some, some momentum going into the rest of uh, American Conference play. But also do not let the record fool you. That one and three is very deceptive because those are – three very, very good football teams that they played. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, – and the other thing with Tulane is they're so well coached. Willie Fritz is a heck of a football coach, um, and I know they haven't had the quarterback play they would have liked this year, but uh, they're still a really good coach football team, and it's going to be a battle. So Yeah, and and to me it's just – it's such a pivotal game. And, and I'll say this, being around the program this week and – I feel like even in the preseason when this game came out, and I posted something about this on the message board, I think this one has been circled for ECU since last year. You know, Blake Harrell even said yesterday in his press conference there are two games 
that he really would like to have back, and it was Georgia State and it was Tulane, and they were just outplayed, outcoached, everything in those two games, and, and quite frankly embarrassed. I mean, they were beat – the final score was 38-21, but it was 31-7 to at the end of three quarters. So I think this this is a prove-it game for uh, this coaching staff. This is a prove-it game for the players. I'll ask you this, Bobby, since you've been on the coaching staff in, in college football. I mean, we look at it as, you know, talking in the media – we, you know, we make such a big deal about these games, and in reality, it probably is that big of a deal. And I think maybe inside the program, it, they want to make it a big deal, but you also can't make it as like this is your season because if you lose the game, then what does that mean for the following week? So how do you try and balance that if you're on the coaching staff, if you're talking to the players? How do you balance like, hey, this is a crucial game, but it's also not, quote-unquote, our Super Bowl. Like This isn't the entire season. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's the balancing act coaches have to do. I mean, you really do truly have to treat each week the same, uh, week in and week out, regardless whether you're playing Alabama or Charleston Southern. And and that's the hard part. And the players know. They're not idiots. They're not dumb. They, they understand kind of what – is on the line here. Um, I will say in that coaching, you know, room and, or excuse me, in those staff meetings, they, they understand that the nature of this game, they understand this is a much needed game if they want to still have bowl hopes uh, throughout the season. And it's a much needed game for the overall uh, morale of the football program moving forward, because if they can get this win, that gives that team a little bit more confidence of, okay, we can do this. We can compete with the big boys and, and calling Tulane a, a big boy is kind of embarrassing, but it, it you know a competitive football team. So, um, yeah, I, I think you, you just got to be consistent throughout the week. So, uh, and, and your message has to maintain uh, and be consistent throughout the season. You know, I, I'm I'm not gonna, I, I probably won't ask it, but I'll be very curious if ECU comes out and plays extremely well versus Tulane and wins the game. I, part of me will wonder if they spent some of Charleston Southern week looking at Tulane. Uh, I mean, is the college football programs, do they do that? I mean, or is that just, if you do that, are you opening Pandora's box? Uh, yeah, you, you do not do that. You uh, Game planning for those FCS opponents were the exact same uh, as, you know, when we played uh, a bowl game or, you know, a, a, a good Cincinnati team or whatever. You, you, you prep for each game exactly the same. Um, you know, the whole routine and the process is the same. And that's what's important because that's what the players see. They see how the coaches act. They, they pick up on their, you know, a mojo throughout practice and, and how seriously they're taking it. So it's very important for the staff to, to keep their routine regardless of who you're playing. Um, you know, if you have a triple option opponent, maybe it's a little different because you may implement some triple option things on Sundays. But, um that that would be pretty standard regardless of if it was an FCS opponent or or somebody else. But because we would, you know, practice triple option against Navy every Sunday night until we played Navy. Um, that was just one thing to kind of get some extra triple option work in. But, yeah, you, you got to treat it the same. Every period of practice is the same. Uh, everything. Each week should look identical. All right, let's get into this matchup some. Bobby, uh, Tulane on the season Strong offensive numbers. They are averaging 36.5 points per game. They're giving up 37.2. Uh, rushing yardage, a little down compared to their past teams, 155 rushing yards per game for Tulane. They're giving up a lot more than they usually do, 180 on the ground per game. Uh, they're averaging total offense, 420 yards a game, and also uh, giving up 
close to 500 yards a game, actually 450, so not terrible. But uh, they have been tested, you mentioned earlier, their schedule, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, UAB, their one win was over Morgan State, and they dropped 69 points over them. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But have you had a chance to watch Tulane at all this season, Bobby? I know you watch Oklahoma due to, to Lincoln Riley. Um, so what's kind of your, your thought process as far as what you see, what you know about Tulane? Yeah, I haven't watched too much of them. Uh, I watched a little bit of the end of that UAB game because um, they made that score closer than, than what, uh, you know, uh, throughout the game, I think – UAB maybe jumped out 21 nothing or something along those lines. Um, and, and then Tulane made a little comeback. They scored late, got an onside kick, and they had to drive to either tie or take the lead. And then the quarterback just fumbled the ball, lost it out of his hands, I think trying to do a pump fake or something, and, and UAB fell on it to end the game. But, yeah, I mean, offensively, uh, I just think they haven't got the quarterback play they expected. I know Pratt came on the scene last year and, and made a little splash, um, surprising some people how how good he was. And, and um, in terms of defense, uh, those numbers to me, again, are just skewed with the two offenses you're playing. Uh, it, I mean, not many American teams are not going to give up those sort of numbers to Ole Miss and to uh, Oklahoma. Uh, they're pretty prudent offenses, and uh, they move the football well. I know Oklahoma has struggled, but – uh, and then on top of that, just thinking everything Tulane has gone through already this season with the hurricane aspect and, and being away from New Orleans and those sort of things. So I'm sure physically they're probably exhausted. I know they're finally back at home playing at, in New Orleans and practicing there, but they're still probably exhausted and recovering. So for them to have to now travel to Greenville, uh, I think there's a chance for us to take advantage of it. One interesting thing that uh, jumps out, to me, looking at their stats, and they've had some similar problems to ECU, it looks like. In the third quarter, they're being outscored 38-15. ECU has really struggled in the third quarter this year. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, Tulane's outscoring opponents 30-6. to So that third quarter, really on both sides, we've seen ECU have big fourth quarters. That third quarter could go a long way to deciding this game. You know, if it's a competitive first half, can ECU finally get some success in the third quarter, or is it Tulane who breaks serve? So... I'll be interested to see uh, that. And usually, Bobby, that is uh, uh, indicative of coaching adjustments. And I think both these coaching staffs historically have won at a high level. So I'm pretty surprised that on both sides those numbers are that way. That is shocking. That, that kind of catches you for uh, surprise. I'm sure some of those fourth quarter numbers specifically for Tulane are due to the fact of maybe, uh, you know, trying to throw the ball, air it out to play catch up a little bit against some of those better opponents or, and maybe Ole Miss and Oklahoma are getting uh, some of their second string guys in late. But yeah, that's, that's not a good number coming out of halftime. Um, definitely not, especially that that's the other thing kind of reverting back a little bit to Charleston Southern that shocked me so much is how conservative we were offensively in the second half. And, and that just can't happen. Yeah. And that'll, that'll be a big, uh, Big thing that we always hear about the the middle eight, the the last four minutes of the first half, the uh, first four minutes of the second half is a big deal for this coaching staff, and they've done pretty good in the last four minutes of the first half, but the start of the second half has been an issue. All right, let's uh, talk some more specifics with Tulane. Michael Pratt has been, you know, in my opinion, when I watched him play last year, I knew he was going to be a problem. And it turns out that he's, you know, he hasn't played extremely well this year. But if you look at his total body of work, 
He's a really good quarterback, and I think from what I've read on the Tulane message boards, he's dealing with an injury right now. Which So I'll be very interested to see how ECU approaches him on Saturday. But if you want to see how good he is at his best, just watch that Oklahoma game. Mobile quarterback, he's got two rushing touchdowns on the year. He's third on the team in rushing. He's thrown 10, 10 touchdowns and two picks, uh, 882 yards through four games. So another good quarterback this week, Bobby, like ECU will basically see every week in the American. Yeah, uh, Pratt, like I said, last year he, he came on the scene. He was impressive. Um, I, w- I was curious if he was injured or not. Something didn't look right in the UAB game. Uh, if I was ECU, I would definitely – and <laughs> Blake Harrell is not shy, but I would definitely not hesitate uh, to come early and often. And uh, that's what she said. Um, sorry, I had to <laughs> had to add to Michael Scott. That's what she said in there. Nice but, to uh, <laughs> appreciate it um but yeah I'll, I'll, I'll try to hit him early and often and the biggest thing for ecu defensively this week especially with another mobile quarterback and i, I mentioned a little bit earlier in the pod is they have to stay on their pass rush dots when they're blitzing if those edge rushers are coming too high and it creates that separation between uh that inside rusher and that outside rusher that creates space for Pratt to step up. That creates space to have him a little running lane. And even if he's not running past the line of scrimmage and just taking off, that amount of space that is created to then do a scramble drill and those sort of things and hit guys open on the run. Because, I mean, DBs, especially man-to-man coverage, you can't cover for six or seven seconds. They, they're they going to have to maintain their pass rush dots defensively and just try to get some hits on them. Uh, to and hopefully they know you know whatever the injury is maybe they can get an extra if it's a, a bruised thigh or whatever they can pop them in the thigh one or two times and kind of throw them off a little bit or at least get them thinking about it. Uh, I keep getting text messages from a group chat that I can't turn off, so I don't know why that is. But I don't know if you're hearing them, Bobby, but they'll show up on the podcast. So sorry to uh, people uh, for that noise, annoying noise. But either way, looking at Tulane. You know, to me, I remember the thing that stands out about me the, about the game the most last year was they came out and they stretched ECU horizontally a lot with the screen game, a lot similar to Charleston Southern and how they kind of came out throwing a bunch of screens or, or you know, little spit outs or whatnot. Uh, and that can make it difficult on the defense because you're not only covering the length of the field, but, you know, vertically, but also horizontally. And even though it is a new OC and Chip Long, I think they have some similar concepts. They'll probably look at the Charleston Southern game and do some similar things there. How tough is that, Bobby, when teams start really pressing you on the outside perimeter? And maybe that affects how you line up your safeties and your Sam linebacker uh, as far as your nickelback. How much more of a challenge does that make it for Blake Harrell to try and combat that? Yeah, it it just kind of makes you be uh, generic in some instances if you're if you're trying to take uh, away something specifically. Um, it puts a lot of stress on those inside backers. It ta- puts a lot of stress on the secondary players uh, to make plays in open field. I, I'm sure you'll see um, a lot of cover two again uh, to take away those screens um, and. Maybe some man coverage uh, with with cheating an inside backer out uh, just to help on that that play so Tulane doesn't outnumber them. But it, essentially, with those bubble screens and horizontal action on the perimeter, it, it becomes a numbers game. So they're they're reading the box. They're essentially reading the box inside whether to run the football because most of those bubble screens have a, a run attached to it too. So, and they're reading the outside box of what's their matchup on the perimeter, uh, whether or not they can. Uh, 
you know, have the angles and, and numbers necessary to make a play outside. So I would expect to see a little bit more cover two again this week. I know uh, Brett Hickman had mentioned before Jaquan McMillan seems to be pretty doing pretty good in that cover two uh, defense. So it's going to stress them. It is. And especially when you don't have speed at that inside backer position, it's going to make it a little bit more difficult too. ECU, man, they haven't had a cornerback like Jaquan McMillan in some time. I mean, you guys had some good cornerbacks under rough, uh, Bobby, but it's been a while since we've seen somebody as, as good as Jaquan McMillan, right? Oh, my gosh. They, he's fun to watch. He's, I mean, they, they that whole corner room right now, that's probably the best I've seen since I've followed ECU between him, Malik Fleming. I know Nolan Johnson has had his peaks and valleys, but he's, he's going to be a really good football player. He's got – uh, the physical attributes, um, but yeah, that's a fun room, and Jaquan McMillan is special, especially. I mean, he's he's a dog for his for his size, and to be making plays and play as physical as he does, he's fun to watch. Looking at Tulane's defense, we talked about it. They've given up some plays, they've given up some yards. Um, you know, when you look at the CCU offense, more than likely, unless a special performance takes place by the ECU defense, they're going to have to score some points, and that. I had this similar conversation with Jonathan Wagner going into the Marshall game. I was like, how many points does ECU need to score to, to beat Marshall? And we both said they had to at least get into the 30s. Uh, we we ended up coming up short on that. They had to get into the 40s. W- what's a realistic number for this game? Uh, high 30s? I mean, I just feel like this is going to be a game where if ECU wins, more than likely you're looking at a, you know, a 35, 38-point output to, to come out on top. Yeah, 35 was the number that stuck out stuck out in my head. They're going to have to eclipse that 35 point mark. And and to me, going into this game, I'm I'm less focused on Tulane's defense and more focused on what is ECU going to look like offensively. Are they going to? Because it's just been up and down throughout the three years of the Houston tenure, and it, it's it's very frustrating. I get it, uh, but that that's kind of are they going to the piece it together and all 11 people play together as one for four quarters. Um, we'll see. We'll see. That's the big unknown. The good news is with Holton Aylers, when he has seemingly an off game, he usually bounces back with a good game. You know, it's bad he's been inconsistent and that the offense has been inconsistent, but he has been able to be, I guess, consistently inconsistent, if anything. I mean, they they have been able to to bounce back with some good performances, so I think that's a positive. Uh, I think they'll be motivated. Donnie Kirkpatrick looks like he hasn't shaved in, like, two weeks so I think he's just doing nothing but watching film um so you know I I think I think last year they struggled against Tulane it was interesting because they really tried to force the run almost and they couldn't run the ball and then the second half they just started opening up and throwing it and had a ton of success so I'll be very interested to see if they end up uh really coming out firing like that or if they end up going back to kind of running the ball and trying to play ball control um yeah your your thoughts on that yeah, I was just going to say, if I was Tulane defensively, I'd put six or seven in the box and man up on the perimeter playing cover zero, cover one, and daring those receivers to beat you. Because right now they have not won one-on-one. And that and obviously when you add those extra hats, hats in the box, it, it's going to obviously make it difficult from a numbers perspective to run. But, I mean, the O-line is going to have to get some push as well. So that's what I would do if I was Tulane defensively until they prove uh, – ECU proves offensively we can move the football. But, um, yeah, they're going to have to establish the, the run. And 
and they got to be successful on first down. I think that's the key. Um, when you have a good first down, normally their drive uh, at least extends past three plays. I think where they get in bad habits is, is, you know, they get behind the chains on first down and then they panic a little bit trying to pick up a big chunk play on second down. Yeah, I remember last year's game was uh, a huge performance by Blake Pro late in that game, and he was beating man coverage on the outside. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think there's a good chance we'll see that. Again, they do like to leave their corners out in an island and trust those guys quite a bit at times. So, uh, And they have a new defensive coordinator this year. He's actually their old DB's coach uh, under the defensive coordinator who was let go after last season. So new OC, new DC for Tulane, and that's caused, I think, a little bit of issues early this season for the Green Wave. Uh, a few notes, Bobby, on special teams. We're going to see a matchup of two of the best punters in the country. Doesn't that fire you up? Hashtag elite. Hashtag elite. What What was up with that dude coming after me? I don't know if you even saw the tweet. Uh, he, he said that I was, a, I think, a sandbagger reporter or something like that because I tweeted about elite John Young punting. Like he, I mean, he's been punting the ball elite. The net eight yards returned in four games against ECU's punting unit. He's been the brightest spot of this this pirate team so far and that's not a good thing but it's a great thing for john young personally but that's a team that's not great but i mean that's your job right to point out good performances and bad performances and john young has performed at an exceptional level and he has been elite i think i mean his punt at the end of the game against charleston southern partially saved them that game uh in terms of not pinning Charleston Southern back to make that drive long with limited time on the clock. Uh, Ryan Wright for Tulane has punted the ball 16 times this year. He's averaging 48 yards per punt. 11 of those punts, 11 of 16 have been fair caught. He's got a long of 68. Eight of his 16 punts are uh, more than 50 yards. He's had just two touchbacks and three inside the 20. So this is a guy that's going to boom the crap out of the ball. So he's a he's a field flipper. I feel like John Young's similar. He probably is more of a precision punter more than anything as far as dropping the ball inside the 20, but he has gotten into a few this year. Uh, Tulane on field goals, two of five on field goal attempts. It says their opponents are 0 of seven on field goal attempts. That can't be right. I don't know if I trust these stats. If that's right, I need to have a conversation with Ryan Doherty out at Oklahoma. I don't think that's correct. Yeah, that's uh, that doesn't sound right. But uh, it says they are two of five. Uh, Merrick Glover. Uh, they've used three different kickers. Again, if these numbers are right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it, it, maybe this game comes down to special teams. Tulane is a four-point favorite on ECU's home field. That means Vegas basically thinks they're a touchdown better in ECU which I think is a fair take given what we've seen from both teams and the inconsistency we've seen from ECU. Uh, Bobby, before we get out of here, prediction time. I know you love making a prediction as much as I do. Uh, any score thoughts, any any big performances you're going to forecast heading into Saturday? Um, no big performances. I think I've learned my lesson on that right now uh, without predicting anything big. Um I think a couple things I'm going to be watching is that that receiver room. I think I've just been, well, I, I don't think I know I've been very disappointed in just the progression of that room. And and either there's some coaching things going on, uh, or or they've had some misses in recruiting in that that receiving room because uh, it concerns me that 
uh, we are having to rely on the same four guys, and, and none of these young guys are able to step up yet. And granted, they're young and they shouldn't have to, but I think that also shows some of the deficiencies uh, recruiting even before Houston got here, uh, just kind of the, the lack of experience in that room and, and a dependable seasoned veteran that they can rely on. Um, but prediction-wise, I am going to go 31-24 to Lane Green Wave. Wow, Bobby. Wearing the ECU shirt and making the two-lane green wave pick. I'm, I'm disappointed, man. I understand. I, I get it. I'm disappointed uh, that I have to make that prediction, but that is what I feel comfortable with. I will definitely be uh, rooting hard for ECU and probably screaming at my TV and, and having my two-year-old daughter yell at the TV as well because she gets she does get very excited when ECU scores. She, she'll start going, yay, and clapping her hands. So it's pretty fun to see, and hopefully there's a lot of that. Hopefully not as much of the other team scoring and her cheering in response to that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I just have a good feeling about this game, Bobby. I don't know. I just feel like I've, I've watched a lot of ECU sports, and they're always at their best when they have a bad performance. Everybody's pissed off, trashing them on social media. I just feel like ECU usually responds well. Doesn't matter the coach, doesn't matter the players. That just seems like when ECU's at its best. And I do think this coaching staff, and hopefully the players, have had this game really marked since last year. And I I think the Pirates are going to play a very good football game. I think they are going to win 38-31 in pretty dramatic fashion. And I think this is going to be a huge win. It would be... The first three-game winning streak in seven years since the, since the Pirates won three in a row in 2014 when a Mr. Bobby Harward was on staff under Ruff McNeil. It's hard to believe it's been seven years since three straight wins. It's amazing. It, it, it's And it just, again, shows how one decision can really push your, your program back. And, and I think and that that's what adds to the frustration, I think, with the fan base is – it's not necessarily part of it, yes, is the Houston aspect of it and, you know, them expecting a bigger change. But I don't think everybody fully understand how far back this program was set the, the three years prior. So, um, you know, I, I still do think he's the right man for the job, and I, I'm confident that he's going to turn it around. I, I'm confident in the staff. Like you said, I was on staff with Donnie and with Trip Weaver, and I think they're hell of a football coaches, but – uh, I think the added frustration is the fact that the three years prior to they were here, uh, prior to their time here, um, was pretty bad, and it, it just really, really set us back. And and seven years is is a long time not to win three games in a row. I can see the stress on your face as you talk about it. it it's really gotten to you, man. It, I think it's gotten to me to where I'm I'm just numb to it at this point. Like I just, but yet yeah, I, I'm I think- here. I'm here predicting an ECU win somehow. Yeah, I think for me, I, I get so excited going into the game, and then after like a quarter, I'm like, why the fudge did I get so excited like about this this game? And it, it's, it really is amazing. We have a good friend of ours uh, who graduated from ECU in 2018 or something around there. But the fact that he, throughout his time as a student and now since then, has yet to experience an ECU winning season is just like, speaks to how bad we've been you know the last couple years because when we were in school i mean skip had won the conference championship with with against houston on in dowdy ficklin and then you know we were what four out of five years bowl games 
Yeah. Well, Bobby, it can change Saturday. A it winning record, a, rec- a winning record in October would be a big deal. So, don't hey, don't get too excited unless ECU wins the game. Then you can get really excited. Manage your expectations. That way, you're not disappointed. But you know, I have a little bit of hope. That's what I'm doing with the Seattle Mariners right now. Like I'm still not expecting them to make the playoffs, but I am like hopeful. I guess is the best there way to go. go. There you go. Huh. Yeah, I'll have uh, a Voodoo Ranger and some wings from Wingstop, and just try to not get excited until we're late in the fourth quarter. Until ECU scores That's first, and then you'll be like, "We're about to win," and then yeah. let down. we're scoring forty-five and winning forty-five to seventeen. Yeah, well, Bobby, man, I appreciate it as always, your knowledge and uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule. I know we're both swamped right now with little ones and full-time gigs, but uh, it's it's fun always to have you on, man, and, and maybe we'll get you on soon, hopefully after a uh, a few more wins. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Pirate listeners, I look forward to uh, hopefully a – a pirate victory and a fun fifth quarter call-in show. I always enjoy watching that after the games as well. So if anybody wants to have a, a rowdy call, I would get a good kick out of it. Still waiting for you to call in one of those days. <laughs> but uh, all right, Bobby, it's been uh, it's been real, man. Uh, for, yep. for Bobby, I'm Stephen Igo. Appreciate you guys listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll be back with you after the game. Until then, it's been fun. National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.